I'm Jay Edidin. And I'm Miles Stokes. And with our new schedule, normally we'd have this week off from explaining the X-Men. But given current circumstances, we thought it might be good to put something here for those of you for whom tuning in on Monday morning is a regular ritual. So now, <laughs> this is unedited, as you may have already figured out. Just um, now. And we are skipping the Age of Apocalypse stuff for this because this is basically just a super quick and dirty. We're recording it and posting it the same night situation. Basically, everybody's really isolated right now, uh, including us. And so we just wanted to put out something just to talk out into the void in hopes of, I don't know, kind of feeling less alone, not to get too mushy immediately here. But it is a weird ass time. It is an exceptionally weird ass time as we record this. I mean, I'm not sure you mentioned that you're getting out somewhere and I know you're in a house and you're in a somewhat more more spread out neighborhood. Um, I literally haven't left my apartment in days. Oh, man, that's that's not ideal. Yeah, New York, from what I've heard, is uh, pretty rough right now. Yeah, New York is not a great place. And we're actually trying to figure out um, some stuff around getting out of town and, and, and possible options. We've been pretty much in quarantine for a couple of weeks now, but we'll see where that goes. So, yeah, um, hopefully the podcast will pretty much continue uninterrupted again um, we're mostly re we mostly really are going to be doing the three weeks on one week off schedule, at least um, as much as we have so far. But we'll give you updates if anything is going to change. Before we get too much further, though, um, we know that every episode of this podcast can be somebody's first, just like the old Marvel Comics edict that every issue could be somebody's first. If this is your first episode of Jan Miles Explain the X-Men, like... Maybe listen to a different one first. We're, we're usually quite polished and quite erudite and, you know, edited at all. Yeah, this one is... This one is like, instead of reading the comic, you read the comic that your friend's fourth grader drew based on the comic and assumed that it was the officially published one. It's sort of that degree of finished. Exactly. Uh, but we do have a topic. We were thinking about what to talk about because we didn't want to just like ramble on about our personal lives the whole time. We figured we should talk about something X-Men related. So we were thinking in a challenging time like this, we would talk about our X-Men related comfort reads, the stuff we read uh, of X-Men related comics that just sort of make us feel more okay when the world isn't okay. Which, I mean, look, X-Men is a soap opera. There's very little in the way of X-Men that is just fluff and goodness and not angst. So take these with several grains of salt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't know, should we just sort of dive in here? I mean, I know you and I each have our own collection of the X-Men stuff we keep coming back to. Uh, Jay, what is your, what is your first standard X-Men go-to when you just want to feel better about life? I don't know if it's when I want to feel better about life, but when I want to get through something, when I want to just sort of latch on to something, for lack of a better term, my absolute pretty much always go-to is X-Men Season 1. You know, that was actually on my list as well. So, listeners, if you're not familiar, I know now we, we fight. About, now, now we fight. Um, I know we talked about X-Men Season 1 a lot early in the podcast when we were discussing the Silver Age, um, but if you haven't listened to those episodes or have forgotten or whatever, X-Men Season 1 was an original graphic novel from, I don't know, like the, the mid-2000s maybe by Dennis Hopeless and, uh, oh, why can't I think of the artist's name right now? Jamie McKelvey. Yes, Jamie McKelvey. 
And it's basically a modern, although, you know, modern's a little out of date right now, um, retelling of the first few issues of Silver Age X-Men. And it is so good. It's really, really good. And it's, I mean, it's, I think it's the best version of the Silver Age. I think it's an incredibly polished and well put together piece. It's also just really, really well, I don't know if human is quite the word to use for an X-Men story, <laughs> but it's it's tangibly relatable. And it's, in a lot of ways, the sort of distilled best versions of, of the original five. And definitely, definitely the best written version of Silver Age Jean. Yeah, she's sort of the point of view character in this, and... Mm -hmm. Jean is so often poorly written, and uh, nowhere is that more true than most of the Silver Age, and so it's just so nice to see a Silver Age Jean that works that well. Um, so yeah, that's X-Men Season 1. Uh, it's kind of hard to find these days, mainly because it doesn't have that title anymore. For whatever reason, Marvel took all of the, you know, Hulk Season 1, Avengers Season 1, Thor Season 1, whatever, and they gave them different titles. And what? so. Yeah, these days, X-Men Season 1 is still out there, same cover and everything, but it's called X-Men Uncanny Origins. So if you find either of those comics, it's the same thing. I'm pretty sure they're available digitally since uh, getting into comic shops these days is uh, a, little, a little challenging. Um, although you should totally still support them if there's absolutely any way you can do so. But uh, yeah, it's really good. Actually, can I jump in there real quick, speaking of comic shops? Yeah. So... As some of you know, as you all know, if you've been listening, because I've been talking about it a whole lot, um, my first my first Canon X book is coming out at the end of April because um, the universe has a sense of humor. Now, as far as I know, it's still coming out. And if you know us and if you've known the show for a long time, you know that we have a really close relationship with a specific comic shop in Portland with books with pictures. That's a shop that was our home base for a long time. It was where we shot video reviews. It was a shop that I've been involved with literally since it was an idea uh, and which I love no end. Its owner has been doing home deliveries and shipping. She is phenomenal. What I've done is set up a pre-order form where you can pre specifically pre-order this issue, X-Men Season 1, and either the regular or the variant cover. Oh, you mean uh, X-Men Snapshots? Snapshots. I can words. It's, it's been, been a long <laughs> something, long couple of weeks. It's it. What is time anymore? <laughs> Hooray for being unedited, listeners! You are getting the raw us. But yes, you can order X Men snapshots from Katie Pride at Books with Pictures, and she will ship it to you if you are outside of the Portland metro area, and hand deliver it to you if you are within that. She is phenomenal, and if you don't happen to have a local comic shop you're already working to support, um, it would mean a lot to me if you could help me support through there and also um katie and i decided that if, if 50 people order them through that form we will include some kind of special exclusive that i will hand make in some way i have no idea what yet but i've got about a month to figure it out you know fingernail and hair clippings uh cryptic messages written on parchment paper i don't know the latter is highly probable the former much less so well that's how you get sympathetic magic that's that's too dangerous don't do that yeah no i mean i love our li our listeners but there are, there are some important boundaries here. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, X-Men Season 1 is great. Um, I The first thing on my list, because X-Men Season 1 was the second thing on my list, but the first thing on my list, as I'm sure will come as no surprise to anybody who's listened to the podcast very much at all, is the Asgardian Wars storyline. 
Um, that's where, because Loki was so impressed that time he saw Storm fighting in one panel of the Cert War, uh, Walter Simonson Thor story, he decided to abduct her, brainwash her, turn her into a new goddess of thunder, because she was without her mutant powers at that point, and then, like, the new mutants get pulled into Asgard, and they're all in different realms of the Nine Realms, and for some of them it's awesome. Like, for Sunspot, he gets to be, he, he joins up with the Warriors Three, but then, like, Cypher is, like, a, a serving boy in some shitty mead hall. And it's so good. It combines my love of the New Mutants, my love of Art Adams' art, because it's Art Adams' art, which is incredible, and uh, my love of everything 80s Thor and Asgard related. And it's just got so much heart to it. I I love it so much. So my next one, my next one is a one-shot. And you know how I have that Cyclops has a good day sketchbook? Oh, I know the one you're talking about. Yes, I do know that sketchbook. So, I'm sorry. So there's 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 a specific issue. It's a one shot. It's from X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class did like one or two spotlight issues of each of the main characters. And the Cyclops one is amazing. I believe it's written still by Jeff Parker. It's drawn by Dean Haspiel. It is um it's delightful. It's just really charming and fun and terrific and satisfying. And wonderful. And I know that it's on Marvel Unlimited. If you can track it down physically, I'm not sure where to do that or where it's collected. But uh, yeah, Marvel Unlimited is is the place I know to find it these days. That's the one where Cyclops, like as a teenager, is trying to foil a supervillain. And so he has to steal somebody's bike, but then he leaves a note about the bike. Yes, yes. That's the one uh, where he specifically also cites the art of war that, you know, to take what advantages that you can, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. It is... It, oh man, like anybody whose idea of Cyclops is the asshole Boy Scout from the 90s cartoon, like read this comic, this comic here. It's kind of like how um, if you don't find Superman relatable, just go and read Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman and it will change your mind. It's like that. So here's my, my secret spoiler for X-Men Snapshots is that while it could be a Cyclops origin story, it is more importantly the origin story of Cyclops' copy of The Art of War. Oh, from that Jeff Parker story you mean? From all over the place. He's had it in a bunch of different things. Oh, that's that's Just awesome. like this incredibly beaten up copy of it. Oh, man, I'm I'm so excited about that. Yeah, X-Men First Class in, class in general is just fun. It's, it's a little more, I guess, YA than X-Men Season 1 is, although X-Men Season 1 is also pretty YA. Like, I feel like First Class is written maybe for a slightly younger audience, but it's just heartwarming. It's like X-Men comfort food. And then there's the comfort food of comfort food, which are the backup strips that Colleen Coover drew for X-Men First Class. Oh, they're so adorable. What was, like, there was some thing where Beast was doing a scientific study on the cutest baby animal or something? Right, and he, he initially determined that they were ducklings, and so Professor X sent them out to do their best to learn from ducklings and thus win the love of humans. <laughs> I love that. Oh, man. Um. Okay, so... You had that Cyclops story. Uh, speaking uh, of stories where Cyclops is written really well, I feel like we got to talk about Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, art by John Cassidy. And, like, so for me, Whedon's Astonishing X-Men is very much part two, where part one is Grant Morrison's new X-Men. And, like, everywhere that new X-Men is 
avant-garde and like deliberately alienating and dark and cold and those aren't bad things like that morrison's x-men is, is wonderful but uh joss whedon's story is very much the response to that like it's called astonishing x-men because they want to astonish the humans with how heroic they are and stuff and it's wonderful like the entire cast is written wonderfully and drawn wonderfully yeah, it's one of the rare exceptions to the general rule that giving a diehard fan the keys to the kingdom doesn't go well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, we it's it's a, a well-known nerd fact that Buffy Summers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is based in large part on Chris Claremont's Kitty Pride, And as it turns out, Joss Whedon's Kitty Pride is also great without seeming derivative of either. Yeah, so it, it definitely has some of my less favorite of Joss Whedon's foibles. I have really mixed feelings about Whedon as a character, but I think this this specific arc of X-Men, or arcs, the series, is among his best work. Completely agree, yeah. Um, so, my fiancé, I've been... Uh... She she hasn't read all that many comics when she was younger, so I've I've been like giving her a bunch of recommendations over the time we've been together, and uh, right now she's doing Morrison's X Men, and I'm so excited for her to finish that so she can get to Whedon's run right after because you you got to read those in order. I mean you don't have to, but but I think you should. Yeah, no, they're 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 definitely a a good set. So my next one, hmm, I'm gonna go with an odd choice, and it's a long arc. Actually, well, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go with I have I have two others on my list and I'm gonna go with the weird one now so I can end with the the wholesome one. So I'm gonna say Inferno. <laughs> Guess what was also on my list? Damn it! <laughs> so for me it was specifically the new mutants part of Inferno. Okay, see for me it's all of it. Because Inferno isn't comforting at all, but it is incredibly cathartic. Exactly, yeah. Like, having, you know, the X-Men emulating ducklings is, okay, frankly, that's that's perfect. But part of why X-Men works so well is because you get to feel in all of the different directions that fiction can make you feel. And goddamn if Inferno doesn't do most of those directions better than most other stories. So... Uh, do, do you have any more? Have I just bogarted all of your picks? Oh, no, 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 I, I wrote a big long list. But I want to talk about Inferno more because, again, every episode could be somebody's first. And again, I say, if this is your first episode, it shouldn't be. But if you're still here anyway, then so be it. But yeah, Inferno, I mean, basically, hell comes to Earth through a couple of X-Men characters. But, like, I don't know, you mentioned it was all of Inferno, Jay. So there's, like, the half where Ilyana Rasputin of the New Mutants is, like, mm -hmm. fighting with her dark side. And then there's where Jean's clone Madeline Pryor is, like, trying to get revenge on on the world. So do you find this cathartic in, in similar ways or different ways? Or, I mean, they're part of the same big mess of a thing. And for me, again, part of what makes Inferno work, part of what makes it effective as a not-exactly-comfort read is its scale. That it's got so much, that it's so cacophonous almost and almost overwhelming and that it's something that you can really focus into for a fairly long time and go back through go back and look stuff up in, go through different arcs of etc if that's something you need and if you're someone for whom projects specifically rather than quick one-offs are a good touchstone to have at a time like this yeah, um, and especially with some of the spinoffs, honestly, like the Power Pack, um, or I guess tie-ins, the Power Pack tie-in issue is just one of my favorite issues of Power Pack. And then there's that one time that 
Daredevil fought the possessed vacuum cleaner. That's part of Inferno 2. Oh, no, no. When, when Daredevil not only fought, but lost a fight with a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Matt Murdock's life is awful. Right? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, okay, so I, I'm noticing that a lot of our choices are 80s here. Um, or uh, mine especially. And I think for me, part of that is that in the – well, okay, I mean I was mostly reading those 80s comics in the early 90s because my father gave me his, his 80s collection. But I think for me that's part of – partially because these are the comics that I just read over and over and over. And so going with that, um, let's talk Excalibur. Let's Let's talk – Excalibur in the 80s drawn by Alan Davis and sometimes written by Davis and sometimes written by Claremont oh see for me if I was going to choose something from Excalibur it would definitely be Days of Future yet to come oh specifically Davis's last story of his run yeah where he was writing and drawing and that you know we were talking about stories that are cathartic and stories that are optimistic and stories that are triumphant and how how Inferno is one of the three of those (laughs) this one is all three yeah. No, that's that's very true. It's you know, it's it's the culmination of Rachel Summer's story. At the time it was the culmination of the entire Days of Future Past universe, and it's the culmination of everything Alan Davis built in his run. And yeah, it's it's a really good ending. It's um I, I feel like it's something that would be hard to just dive right into that though, because it builds yes. on so much that came before. Probably so, but honestly I think it's well enough set up and the relationships and characters in it are written accessibly and intensely enough that you probably could you would miss some things but i think you'd still probably get a lot out of it yeah yeah that said that early excalibur as the original five excalibur characters are learning to live together and learning that their lighthouse has random portals to alternate dimensions and having like soap opera stuff and crushes and romance and a surprising amount of gratuitous nudity like it's just it's just fun. Like, it's the kind of world I kind of wanted to hang out in. Like, I, I really wanted to just be a member of Excalibur and just live in that bonkers, earnest universe. Fair enough. Um, do you, do you want to bring one up now, Jay? Or Yeah, um, I'm going to go to the other end of the timeline, actually, and go to the stuff that we read relatively recently and say that while it's not technically an X-book, I'm going to say it counts because it has an X-Men on the team and say um, Mark Wade and Umberto Ramos' run on Champions. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Champions was really good. I, I don't even know if we've talked about Champions on the podcast before, like that recent run. Well, not not current, but recent run of Champions. Yeah, I think we've we've at least mentioned it. But it's it's a good book. It's got a great ensemble. It's got a lot of sort of old New Mutants feel in terms of team dynamics and just solidarity. Agreed, yeah. And it, just some great characters. I mean, for my money, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, is the the best new Marvel character of the last, like, 20 years. And so getting to see her in a, a team environment is also stellar. Getting to see her lead a team. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And um, the, the X-Men character you're talking about, of course, was the young teenage version of Cyclops who no longer exists, kind of, but did at the time, kind of. But he's great in it. That one issue that's focused on him is one of my favorite single Cyclops issues ever. Yeah, yeah. So I, I really love that. Speaking of, of I'm going to go, actually, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pop something in that is not an X thing at all, just because I'm trained of thoughting about members of that team and say Beyond the Spider-Verse amazing uh, into, wait. The spi- into the spider into the spider oh the movie something the spider-verse 
the thing with the Spider-Verse, with the screen where we all sat in the chairs and paid too much money, but it was enough because it was perfect and beautiful, that, that Spider-Verse. It's maybe the best modern superhero movie of, like, all of them. I would consider even striking modern from that sentence. See, I just go back to The Rocketeer, though. But then again, Into the Spider-Verse is really good. Yeah. The Rocketeer is amazing, but The Rocketeer is... I don't know. The Rocketeer is kind of its own thing. Man, I don't know. Everything is good. Everything is good sometimes. (laughs) The Rocketeer is great, too. But it is not really relevant to this conversation. So you want to bring it back to the X-Men? Uh, well, actually, let's stick on screen for a minute. Um, I was thinking about television because there have been a number of uh, small screen adaptations of X-Men related stuff as well. My favorite, it's a weird choice, specifically the first season of Legion. I love the show in general, but season one is just so uh, lush, like visually and thematically and it's just so engrossing that if you're looking for pure psychedelic escapism i feel like that's a really good direction to go i feel like legion would be a really rough watch if you are already kind of having an existential crisis though i mean so for me i don't know i not everyone is this way but for me with stuff like that i kind of like to lean in sometimes and it's not always a good plan, don't get me wrong, as, as you've certainly seen in the, the many, many, many years we've known each other. I, I sometimes spiral. I remember what happened when you watched Donnie Darko, and that was fucking Donnie Darko. Well, I watched it and Velvet Goldmine in, like, the same month, and, oh, I, I kind of spiraled. It, you know, it was, I was in, like, my late teens, early 20s. It was a rough time. Oh, dang, speaking of brilliant, surreal movies, I watched The Mystery of Rompo last night. It's so good. It's so good. I don't even know what that is. Um, it's about a Edwardian-era Japanese novelist who in a lot of ways was sort of like the um, Arthur Conan Doyle of, of Japan. Um, and one of his characters coming into existence around him. And it's it's brilliant and surreal and very, very weird. That sounds a little Borges almost. That's what I kept saying during it, so... <laughs> Cool. Well, I, it's, I should it's definitely, yeah, Borgesian is a good word for it. I will say for those of you considering watching it with friends, family, parents, or small children, it is a movie for grown-ups. Legit. Last night I watched a movie called um, Detective D and like the Four Gods of Heaven or something. I don't remember exactly, but it's a kung fu movie. And at one point, a yeti fights a monster made of eyeballs. And so that's pretty great. Uh, I feel like we're getting off track here. I was about to ask if it was based on the Judge D stories, but you kind of answered my question before I could. <laughs> um, okay, X-Men comics. Uh, and Nisanti and Art Adams' long shot. Um, that was one of my favorites as a child. And, you know, I've talked about why I love long shot on the podcast before, but, like, the idea that there's this character where his the purity and strength of his intentions translate to the world working out okay, at least for the short term— it's naive, it's impossible, and it's a beautiful concept, and I I love that about Longshot. I love that even though that character's history goes utterly to shit after the events of that story, because that's his deal. He just cycles, he rebels, and he has hope, and then it never works, and he starts over. That story is just such a beautiful meditation on, I mean, on hope, basically, and I, I love coming back to it, even though its version of Mojo is by far the most terrifying that Mojo's ever been. So, I realized a lot of my comfort reads aren't comics, but also I was thinking through, and I haven't used this exactly as a comfort watch yet, but I can see it working really well. 
I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path. I'm going to say X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> now, <laughs> now Continue, I will qualify here. I will qualify here that sometimes when you're stressed, sometimes when you have too much on your plate and you're overwhelmed and you're trying to crunch statistics and figure out what to do and how to do it and how to handle impossible situations, sometimes you hit a point where you are no longer capable of rational thought and you need a movie that's functioning at the same pace as you. And that movie is X-Men Origins Wolverine, the Wolverine movie made by people who don't know what a Wolverine is. It is... Go ahead. It is so exquisitely, spectacularly, enthusiastically, committedly terrible that it kind of goes full circle into really fun. It's not good. It's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really entertaining, and it's not the kind of entertaining that requires much thought. I mean, at one point, Wolverine rides a a motorcycle through a helicopter, and the helicopter explodes. As happens... Everyone's got really great hair in it also. Like, both Wolverine and Sabretooth have this... I guess mainly Wolverine. Doesn't Sabretooth have short hair? Anyway, Wolverine's got shampoo commercial hair, like, the whole time and every time period that it shows him in. I love it. And I think I think Sabretooth has shampoo commercial hair for a while and then cuts it short later. Oh, I knew he was a bad guy. Sorry, man. Um, okay, so weird direction to take this, but I was talking about leaning in. Um... One of the things that came up as I was thinking about the X-Men stories I come back to, these are three thematically linked stories that are otherwise unrelated. Um, I, I sort of think of them as the Kitty Speech series. So, Ooh. yeah, so um, specifically there's God Loves, Man Kills, arguably my favorite X-Men graphic novel, um, where she makes a big speech on a stage of like this anti-mutant megachurch about, um, about bigotry and... Uh, how it sucks and you shouldn't, you know, kill people because they're different. And then New Mutants number 45, We Were Only Foolin'. That's the Larry Bodine issue where they meet the closeted mutant who kills himself. And at uh, at his school, Kitty gives a speech again about bigotry. And in that speech, as with a couple of Claremont Kitty speeches, she uses some racial slurs and that is not great. But they're still really, really good stories. And the third one that I would put with that are... Uh, is all-new X-Men number 13, the uh, Bendis run of all-new X-Men, where she has a a response to Havoc's M-word speech, where he's like, I don't want to be called a mutant because we're all just humans, where she talks about passing and how she's Jewish, but she can pass as not and thus not get hit with that bigotry, but she's still Jewish and solidarity and identity are important. And I just really like that Kitty Pride has always been a character that addresses stuff like that head-on. And at times, like maybe a little too bluntly, like with all the racial slurs and stuff, but she is a character that just has such conviction and doesn't close her eyes, even and especially when the world is at its worst. And that, I don't know, that just makes me feel better, like to highlight that the world is fucked sometimes and just to say this is not acceptable. I keep on thinking of more as we talk, and one of the ones that I'm coming back to is Death of Wolverine, Life After Logan. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, it's a collection of of short stories about different characters reacting to Wolverine's death. And it's great because it's got a lot of different faces of and angles on and experiences of grief. It's also, it's just just a really, really well put together kind of pensive and lovely 
single issue. Should also say, looking at the clock, we're probably about of, out of time at this point because it's 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 about eleven, and I'm gonna have to go to sleep pretty soon because I have to get up early tomorrow and work because my job, my day job, is still just a regular day job. I'm just doing it from home. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm three hours earlier, but yeah, work for me. I'm actually officially starting my uh, half marathon training tomorrow because I figured, <laughs> why the hell not? It may be uh, weird times, but at least I can hurt myself by running a lot. Um, but I do have one more pair of series I want to mention before we break, if uh, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. Tom Taylor's all-new Wolverine and X-Men Red. Some oh, of the best modern yeah. X-Men comics yeah. out there. Um. His take on Laura Kinney and all new Wolverine. I mean, she already had a lot of really good runs, like her two miniseries. Uh, by I think it's um, uh, Ye- so. well, I think the miniseries were Yost and Kyle, weren't they? And then oh, Luke, you're right. The ongoing was Lou. The X twenty three ongoing. Um, but all new Wolverine is the definitive take on a character that had already been written really, really well, and her journey of identity is. It's fucking inspiring, and it's also just badass because it's Laura Kinney, and she's badass in general. And he brings that same kind of energy to the sadly short-lived X-Men Red, which was totally the highlight of the X-Men Blue Gold Red era, where Jean Grey leads an X-Men team because she's been dead for, like, years and years. And she's like, wait, the world's at this it, the world has gotten this messed up? Oh, hell no. Like, that's... All New Wolverine is my favorite Laura Kinney, and X-Men Red, I'm going to go ahead and say, is probably my favorite Jean Grey. That is a strong endorsement. Yeah, I mean, she's a character that's been written very badly and very well, pretty much in equal measure, but X-Men Red is phenomenal. So, yeah, I mean, those were, I feel like those didn't get enough love because it was a Wolverine book without Logan, and it was an X-Men book that was sort of off to the side, and there were blue and gold, but wait, Red, what the hell's that? But they're both stellar. So with that, we should probably wrap up. Thank you to everyone who's tuning in. I'm not sure if we're going to be doing something like this every off week. If we do, it'll probably be a little bit better planned than this. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, we are Jay Edden and Miles Stokes. This is Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. You can hear actually professionally produced episodes most Sundays, um, three out of every four on iTunes, Stitcher, um, all of the podcatchers, Spotify, explain the X- you can get them directly at explainthexmen.com. There is no visual companion to this, but there usually are. Um, Matt Hunter was not responsible for this nonsense. He's, he's, so he's our usual producer. Don't blame him. <laughs> just, just blame us and like uh, whatever Skype is going to do to this recording. We've never tried it before. I hope it actually has recorded us successfully. Meanwhile, stay safe, stay awesome, survive, thrive, start revolutions. Hell yeah. Love to you all. Uh, We'll see you next week back in the Age of Apocalypse, but uh, we'll be thinking about you in the meantime. So good luck, everybody.